Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Chicago's Tax Increment Financing Districts, or TIFs, are meant to lift up communities. But how do they really work? Today, we take a look at the drawbacks and benefits of TIFs and what needs to change to make them more equitable. It's part of our series, Reimagine Chicago, where we explore the ins and outs of the city's institutions and how they could work better to serve residents. David Merriman is a professor in the Department of Public Administration at the University of Illinois at Chicago. He's also an expert in state and local public finance, business taxation, and urban economic development. Professor, let's start from the very beginning here. Tell us, what is a TIF? So a TIF is an area that the city designates under state law. And in that area, as the economic development occurs, as property values increase, the property tax revenue that's generated from the increase in property values is pumped back into the area and used exclusively for economic development. So how long has this tool been around and and how widespread is the use of TIFs around the country? So the tool has been in use in Chicago since the mid-1980s, and it's very widespread in the Midwest, somewhat less in other regions of the country. Chicago is probably the most prolific user of it of any place in the country. So how does the use of TIFs here compare with when you think of places like California or Atlanta or St. Louis? Well, St. Louis, it's, it's used quite a bit, but in general, it's, it's used more in Chicago. It's been used for a, a longer period of time. TIFs were originally intended, if you look at the legislative language, to be primarily aimed for areas that were really struggling economically. Chicago's used it very widely, including in the, some of the areas in the South Loop. And the city actually now goes into TIF districts. Well, you mentioned some of the neighborhoods there, but can you remind us of a few of the recent notable projects here in Chicago that were funded either entirely or partially by TIFs? Well, the the Lincoln Yards, of course, has a lot of TIF money, and it's surrounded by a relatively affluent area. The 78 is another area relatively close to downtown. And then a big thing has been the transportation TIFs, which are a little bit different, which go along the L lines in the city. Those are designed under a different law and are somewhat different way of operating, but can be used to revitalize the area near L tracks. So let, let's zoom in on, on Lincoln Yards and the 78 for a second, because those are two mega projects that were pushed through in the final days yeah. of the Emanuel administration. Right. And they actually they put TIFs on the radar of many Chicagoans for the first time. Two billion dollars of TIF money was used between those two projects. Are, are they outliers, Professor? What, what do you make of how yeah. TIFs are being used there? Yeah, they're outliers. They're very big projects, although that, that has been the trend not only in Chicago, but elsewhere where TIFs have been used for really huge projects. The typical TIF project is much smaller. Some areas on the south side that have been used on the north side near Loyola University, there have been TIFs that are you know, generally only a few businesses involved. So these kind of mega projects like Lincoln Yards are unusual and generally involve a very, very large single developer. Are these sites, uh, you know, the sites of Lincoln Yards and and the 78, are they blighted 
in your opinion? There were certainly big impediments to developing that area, not so much economic blight as a sort of structure, the, the river being there and railroad tracks. So there were a lot of impediments to development of an area that's an attractive site in terms of its proximity to downtown and, and other places. Is that the appropriate use of TIF? You know, that that's something we could argue about, but it seems like it definitely required cooperation between the city and developer to get that site off the ground. A lot of activists argued that those sites would have been developed anyway without huge public subsidies. Well, whether subsidies are needed for the developers is a kind of a separate question of whether there's a, a large need for city development for for public spending in the area, which I think uh, there undoubtedly is in the Lincoln Yards area. So in theory, TIFs are supposed to be helping communities thrive economically. Do you find that that happens here in Chicago? Yeah, well, I look not only in Chicago, but around the country at, at many, many studies of this. And on average, they don't do that. On average, there's not a lot of evidence that the TIFs generate a lot of development that wouldn't have happened anyway. But I think there are cases where they can be appropriately used. And I think the real struggle is to figure out, you know, not to be pro or anti-TIF, but to figure out what's the appropriate use of TIF. Most developers are not anxious to invest a lot of money in really economically challenged areas. So you're going to need a combination of public policy, public money, and private money to develop those areas. The TIF's not the right tool for that, or not exclusively the right tool for that. Professor, I want to get into some more of your ideas here. You authored a 2018 report for the Lincoln Institute of Land Policy on how to make TIFs more successful, more equitable, and effective. Now, before we get into some of your findings and your recommendations, can you talk to us about why you wanted to study those three factors? TIFs have been a a very controversial and very misunderstood area in terms of economic development. I think there's been a misunderstanding about the appropriate use of TIF. So I was hoping that by writing that report, I would direct attention to the appropriate uses of TIF. Well, one of the um, chief recommendations from your study, it's pretty simple. You said states should track and monitor TIF use. Is TIF use in Chicago being tracked and, and monitored in the right way? Chicago's made great strides over the last couple of decades in terms of making information available to the public about what happens in TIF districts, how money is spent in TIF districts. But what there has not yet been is a regular evaluation of whether or not the TIF projects are meeting their goals on a timely basis. So the TIF projects at the time they're approved through the city council specify this is what the development's going to be. This is the number of jobs we expect to be created. This is the amount of economic investment we expect in the area. And there's no real regular review of that. It doesn't go back. So I recommend a five-year period. The city council should look at the project and say, is it meeting its goals? If it's not meeting its goals, then what kind of adjustments do we need? Maybe we need to end the TIF district. What about in other parts of Illinois? Are we tracking and monitoring TIFs properly? No, no, I think that that hasn't been done really anywhere. And I don't think it's exclusive to Illinois. In most areas of the country, TIFs have not been done in that way. And that, that goes more generally to economic development incentives. 
Well, tell us about one of your big ideas here, which is uh, funding infrastructure together. That's FIT. So the opposite of TIF, really. Right. The, the opposite of TIF. This yeah. is something when Mayor Lightfoot got inaugurated, she formed a transition team and she asked us to come up with ideas. It's really quite the opposite of TIF. I mean, the idea of TIF is when you get economic development and it generates new revenue, the revenue goes back into the area in which generated the development. In, in a lot of ways, that's exactly the opposite of what we know needs to occur. You know, property values are rising in the South Loop, on the North side. And they're doing just fine. What we need to do is move the revenue that's generated there out into the areas that are struggling more, the south and the west sides in particular. So you say it's about moving revenue around the city. So let's say funding infrastructure together became a reality. How would you imagine it working? I would imagine that there would be some kind of state enabling legislation that said we can use a portion of the increase in property taxes generated in one area of the city, and we could take that revenue and use it to fund development and prioritize areas in other parts of the city. And I think that would kind of bind us together where we realize that success in one part of the city doesn't mean that other part of the cities are worse off, but in fact, they should be better off. If one part grows, then everybody should benefit from that growth. So this idea that you have for sort of flipping TIFs on their head, it really ties into the conversations that we had earlier in our Reimagine Chicago series. We talked about the role that aldermen play in the city and the, the powers that they have and the powers that they don't have. So I wonder what you think. Do you think that aldermen would go for your idea? I, I think it would obviously have to be a political compromise. The aldermen that are in areas that are doing well, I can see them being resistant. But I think that everyone should realize now, especially with the events over the last year or so, the need for us to act in a communal fashion across the city. So I think there'd have to be a lot of discussions about appropriate use of the spending and probably there'd have to be some give on both sides. But I think it might make it easier in the areas of the city that are thriving. It might make it easier to get some agreement and consensus on facilitating that kind of development if other areas of the city knew that they were going to benefit from the success of, of those areas. Do you think there are any economic development strategies that the city of Chicago should be exploring to either replace or to maybe work alongside the TIFs uh, that you think could really make a difference in, in everyday lives of folks who live here? Well, I think the city should have a capital plan, a long-range capital plan, and a unified vision of economic development. A, a lot of the problems with TIF over time have been a kind of case-by-case you know, opportunity, an opportunity arises, some developer wants to do something. And so it's a tool that can be used to react to that. That's David Merriman, professor in the Department of Public Administration at the University of Illinois at Chicago and an expert in state and local public finance, business taxation and urban economic development. Professor, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Now, in February of 2020, just before the pandemic hit, the Lightfoot administration announced a number of changes to tax increment financing in Chicago. Here's a bit of Samir Mayakar explaining some of those reforms. 
He's Chicago's deputy mayor for economic and neighborhood development. When Mayor Lightfoot came into office, she was very committed to three aspects of reforming the TIF system, creating transparency, uh, focusing on equity, and ensuring that there's accountability. So we created a new investment committee that would create a formal process as to how we administer the TIF system. We would increase the analysis of TIF proposals so that we are using the funds appropriately. We, for the first time, published a TIF program guide that's on the website so any citizen can really go in and understand the TIF system. And we also put out data for public review for the first time after every meeting that happens here on the website Any resident can go and see how TIF money is being spent. Still, some critics have called for more robust reforms than recent mayoral administrations have delivered, while others have called for TIFs to be abolished altogether. Joining us to discuss their ideas for improving how development works in Chicago is 35th Ward Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa. He represents parts of Logan Square and other nearby neighborhoods. Also with us is Amisha Patel, Executive Director of the Grassroots Collaborative and Amara Enya, a public policy expert and former candidate for Chicago mayor. Amara, I'll start with you. What changes would you want to propose to help TIFs be more equitable? Sure. I mean, the challenge has been that this administration has simply lacked imagination uh, as far as its economic development strategy. And so we're essentially doing the same things that we've always done with TIF, which is large-scale developers who already have access to the resources to complete their projects are still getting access to billions of dollars in TIF funds. However, as an economic development tool, arguably, Chicago's most hard-hit communities have never really been able to even benefit from it as a tool. There are some fundamental flaws in terms of how it's been interpreted, for example, what qualifies as blighted. But it will be eliminating that tool that many communities, especially black communities throughout Chicago, have never really gotten to benefit from. The other issue is that the the tax dollars from the TIFs could definitely go back to the taxing bodies if the TIFs were abolished. But given the city's history of inequitable distribution of resources, at what point could they even guarantee that those resources would go into the neighborhoods and the areas that are in most high need? That has been the historic challenge. Uh, with the city of Chicago. So even if those dollars are reverted back, um, there still be questions about whether it will be equitably distributed, which which means directed toward the neighborhoods that need them most and the, the populations that need them most. I think the underlying issue is the, the, the overall lack of imagination with TIS, the refusal to actually do things that can make this a, a viable economic development tool for those who need it, as opposed to one that perpetuates inequity in Chicago. And frankly, the administration hasn't addressed key issues with the process. Yes, they're talking about transparency, but what is the relationship between streamlining that process so the communities that are in Invest Southwest can actually have projects that can benefit from the TIS? None of those conversations have been had. No details have been provided by the deputy mayor on any of that. So those are just a few of the concerns. Amisha, what ideas, big or small, do you think need to be on the table when we're talking about how to reform TIFs so that they'll truly lift up communities. I agree with Amara in the 
piece about the funds aren't being spent equitably currently and putting more money back into the taxing bodies is a real question, especially when you've got mayoral control over those taxing bodies. But this is why we need multiple solutions, right? We need an elected representative school board. And then we need to also, I do believe that pulling Chicago public schools out of the TIF system would be a very powerful start to making, to streamline, not just streamlining, but making sure that resources actually, again, stay into the schools. And then, yeah, we have to organize to fight to make sure that those resources are used equitably. We need an elected representative school board to help make that happen. But if we leave the funds as is, we know that the resources don't actually get to where they need to get to. And the challenge here is, and I, we've Grassroots Collaborative is also called for, we, we refer to it as Robin Hood porting, of taking resources from the central part of the city, from the South Loop, from places that clearly don't need the TIF districts in the first place. Make sure, let's, how do we get those get those dollars back out to neighborhoods and communities who will never be able to like have any rise in, or at this current rate. And with these strategies, we have a very difficult chance for many neighborhoods to get the kind of resources they need. So let's move the dollars from where they should be. Because right now, in effect, with when the South Loop has a TIF district flush with funds, not only do they um, already enjoy uh, p- higher property values and, and benefits, but then you have an extra pot of money to fix street lights, to fix, fix, fix roads, to do all the things, again, infrastructure that doesn't need our tax dollars that are meant for, for Black and Latinx children and communities. And I think the fact here, the reality is of what we have to change is to make sure that wealthy neighborhoods, white, wealthy communities continue to not take resources that were not ever meant for them to just improve their, their neighborhoods and communities. This idea that it will benefit the entire city and trickle down, we know is a lie. Those neighborhoods already had access to the resources that they need, and we've got to stop that immediately. Amisha, I'm going to stick with you for, for just a moment on, on the point that you were just making, because back in 2019, your group, the Grassroots Collaborative, you were a plaintiff in a lawsuit over the creation of a TIF for Lincoln Yards. More than a billion dollars for that TIF, as, as we've mentioned. It's one of the largest in Chicago history. Do you think there should be a cap on the amount of money for a specific TIF? I think I would say if there was a billion dollar uh, economic uh, project on the south and west sides, I certainly would not say there should be a cap. I think the question is what na- again the ability for for parts of the city that do that should not get access to public dollars in this way. That's what we need to stop. I think it's ironic that the deputy mayor talked about how committed they are to challenging the but for loopholes when that was the basis of our lawsuit against the city that the city fought that the Lightfoot administration fought the idea that Lincoln Yards wouldn't have been developed without a Lincoln Yards TIF is completely ridiculous to anyone in the city who could see that. And the fact that the mayor and her people spent city resources to fight us on that Mm -hmm. shows again that like, again, there's a lot of talk, but we have to look at the action of the administration. And the action has been to really fight us and to fight for actually winning the kind of structural changes to the TIF system that that we absolutely need. Alderman, you were also a vocal opponent of the Lincoln Yards TIF. Would there have been a way to create a TIF for that specific project that you could get behind? You know, I was not opposed to the Lincoln Yards project. Um, I like adding that amount of density uh, just uh, west of Lincoln Park. However, I do not think that a TIF was necessary in order to facilitate that project. We've looked at a lot of studies nationally that find that 
when big corporations, when did big developers claim poverty and ask for these subsidies, most of the time, uh, there's just really no basis or substance for that. We saw Amazon engage in this nationwide spectacle of saying, throw yourselves at us, give us money so we'll come to your city. And then after New York yanked the subsidy, Amazon said, actually, we're going to go there anyway, because that's where they always wanted to go. So I think Lincoln Yards would have been built regardless of whether or not there was a tip. And I think a vector that we're not discussing here is the role that real estate interests and development interests uh, play in pushing the TIF status quo. You know, Mayor Lightfoot received $815,000 from real estate and development interests. Her single biggest donor was Layuna, the laborers' union, which donated $500,000 in one day. They were the biggest boosters of the Lincoln Yards project. And they believed that Lincoln Yards and the jobs that it would deliver for its members would not be possible without TIF. I think if we're going to really reform TIF in the city of Chicago, we're going to have to convince those interests that these big development projects will be able to move forward, yeah. that we'll be able to deliver good union jobs without needing to subsidize these projects to the tunes of billions of dollars in TIF. Well, Amar, I'm coming to you, you know, thinking beyond TIFs here, what other economic development strategies do you think the city should implement? Sure. Well, I think the city actually needs to come up with a comprehensive economic development strategy, which is it does not have. It should be community driven. So going into communities first at the front end to determine what they need and then matching the resources, not simply repackaging existing tools as has been done with Invest Southwest and the administration to develop productive working relationships with the aldermen. I think that's been a problem for this administration from the outset. And so they need to really um, work on that. Yeah. Taken together, those things will, I think, move the needle We've been speaking with former mayoral candidate Amara Enya. We've also been talking with Amisha Patel, executive director of the Grassroots Collaborative, and Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa of the 35th Ward on the Northwest Side. Thank you all. And that's today's Reset. All month on the podcast, we're bringing you our series, Reimagine Chicago, where we ask, how does Chicago work and how could it work better for residents? We're tackling city government, community investment, public safety and schools. And take a few seconds to leave us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.